Hello and welcome to the podcast where we shine a light on the complexities and challenges surrounding the importance of human behaviour on cybersecurity and compliance. That's right, we're talking about people being at the centre of information security and data protection and the challenges of engaging users to create change in their behaviour. This is Beyond the Firewall. Hello and welcome, where we're going to be talking about data breaches and the pointy finger of blame. Now, I have frankly lost count of the number of stories about data breaches that I've covered in the media over the last six or seven years or so. And on the one side, these stories very quickly went from novelty to surprise to shock as the public began to realise the extent to which the personal information that they'd been entrusting with companies and service providers wasn't necessarily secure and that criminals were actively seeking to monetize it. And then on the corporate side came the grim realization that their data, their customers' data, was now under sustained attack. And even if it was already clear to IT leaders and security professionals, I think these high-profile data breaches in the news were, were a watershed moment, a kind of red letter day as the entire workforce, from the boardroom to the server room, all began to realize the implications of it. So here we are in 2021, and sadly, data breaches are still pretty much daily news, aren't they? And how come, surely with the awareness that we all now have and the data protection policies that exist and the tooling that's available, surely data breaches on this scale shouldn't still be happening? Sadly, they are. So one of the questions is, who's responsible and what can they do about it? Some loaded questions there, and to Help me shed some light onto the data breach blame game is MetaCompliance CEO, Robbie O'Brien. Hello, Robbie. How are you doing? Hi, David. Good to be here. Yep. Really pleased you're here. Robbie, there's something about human nature. I was, I was doing a bit of reading around our, our responses and, and our attitudes to blame. And there's something about human nature, isn't there, that when something goes wrong, there's an instinct to point that finger of blame. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing. But it certainly is a thing, isn't it? It's definitely a thing. I think it arises out of fear. People, first of all, fear, what's the impact on me personally? How, how am I going to hurt? What's the impact on my career? Hmm. I think in a lot of places, the problem with a data breach is that it seems so unlikely. You know, it'll never happen here. And so you've got the initial shock. You know, the proverbial has hit the fan. You've done an analysis and found out that actually it's really bad and it could get worse. At that point in time, it begins. It be the fear of next, the dawning realization of what was, what was going to happen sort of takes hold of people. And that's why any planning that you can do for a data breach can minimize that. And any effort that you put in Avoiding a, da a data breach you know, really does bear fruit. The problem is if you're really successful in your efforts and you never have a data breach, then you'll never know how good it is. And, and it's one of those um, dichotomies. But I think if you move from blame and talk about accountability, then we have a word that is probably more useful in the context of how do we deal with data breaches? Um, how do we you know, invest correctly because it's not that people are not investing it's just that the the ecosystem is changing and so therefore our our responses 
have to change as well. And it's, it's about getting people to participate, getting people to engage, ultimately leads to those improvements in the human factor in, in, in cybersecurity. Yeah, I, I know. I'd love another time to chat about those responses. What happens should a data breach occur within your organization? You know, whether you ascribe to this, it's not an if, it's a when that happens and being well prepared. That's a conversation for another time that I very much look forward to. But I guess that that shift from blame to accountability is the important thing here. Because what we're trying to do is to understand what happened, why it happened, and to find a way to minimize the likelihood of it happening again, to try and turn it into a positive, I guess. It is, yes. So I, I think that in turning it into a, a positive, you have to look at how does these things happen? How do data breaches come about? They, they come about in two main ways. One is, is technical, exploitation of the lack of patching or exploitation of vulnerabilities, which is where the majority of the focus of a, a CIO's budget on security goes. And then there are the more nefarious issues surrounding non-technical, let's call them. So for example, somebody leaving a set of keys and a pass in the lockers in the gym. That is equally as dangerous to an organization as someone giving away their password and, and their login. So you have this concept of the human being with physical and technological environment around them and that also plays a massive part in this story. So for example, a technology company that I know of was investing heavily in ransomware and phishing. It was front of mind, but then they happened to be in a really fancy office on the high street when someone just walks in after someone, tailgates with a, a sports bag, walks through the office, lifts about six laptops and walks straight back out the door, right? So the issue is, how, how, could, how could they have prepared for that? Well, it's just you have to take into account that entire ecosystem of, of threat, that it isn't just technological. It's how we as human beings interface with different stimulus around us and that the data can walk in a myriad of different ways. Yeah, it, and it's that holistic view, taking a step back and saying, you know, we're investing in ransomware protection, you know, we're investing in, in protection against phishing and, and all of the programs that you do. But then there's the big elephant in the room that maybe you haven't noticed that's ready to pounce, like the walking in through the front door. <laughs> so, so when it comes to trying to understand what those risks are and, you know, where the accountability lies for those potentially damaging workplace activities has to be a better way to manage it than we're doing at the moment, I guess, because, you know, that, that, that example's a prime story of where this thing isn't working. And I'm sure we can think of many other stories that essentially tell the same thing about how we're missing the, the, the big obvious elephant in the room. And, and I think we have to find a better way of approaching this because let's face it, the current approach carries too big a risk and too big a sanction if you get it wrong. There's no doubt in my mind that as our dependence on the digital economy has increased, so has the complexity and repercussions of a, a data breach. Mm. And what I, what I mean by that is that because you have now significant abilities by regulators to, to find quite highly. And recently we, we've seen TikTok being investigated by the 
the European com um, Data Commissioner in relation to the amount of data they're taking on children. Yep. So, like that's that wasn't there six years ago. That that wasn't there with that teeth six years ago. Then you have the sophistication of the damage that when someone gets inside your environment. And again, you look at TravelX, the impact on their organization was, was fatal. And I think also you have a situation where the multifaceted ways of, of people to get in mean that you know, the threat actors have matured their game, but we have to mature our game as we go along. So what was okay for us three years ago as an approach of bringing our team with us is no longer fit for purpose. It keeps evolving. And that is the biggest heartache, I think, for every, everyone. And I don't think anybody can claim plausible deniability anymore. No one can say, well, I, I didn't know that. You know, it doesn't mean that the majority of organizations are, are acting inappropriately. I think it's just there's another way. And that is for me to embed cybersecurity into the DNA of, of your organization. I had um, the good luck to work with uh, oil and gas, the process industry for a, a number of years. And I was so impressed with the, the approach that they had to safety. And, and, and it came around after a, a terrible environmental disaster, I think it was a, a Exxon Valdez, um, where they crashed a tanker in the area of beauty. And after that, they were forced to change. And I don't see that there could be a, a tipping point for cybersecurity, that something so disastrous could happen that it would mean that we can't continue this ad hoc approach to it uh, in the future. But, you know, as I went into the oil companies, you would see, as you walked into the main foyer, a big LED symbol which said, you know, we're committed to zero harm. That's what they called it, zero harm. And we have not had any incidents in this area. We have had no, had no incidents since the 1st of, of January. And then I, I remember going back and saying, oh, we've had an incident. We've had a mortality. And the mortality was someone who was on a, a flight from Indonesia to Singapore and died of uh, deep vein thrombosis as a result of the, the flight. But because they were, they were on company business, that was taken as part and parcel of, of their zero harm, part of their responsibility. And I was really impressed with that. They really, everybody took it seriously. I was surprised when I was walking up the stairs, not holding the banister as you're supposed to, and random strangers would go, hey, hey, come on, hold the, the banister, which was amazing. And I think a lot of our challenges with cybersecurity is to get our people braver, braver to challenge. Challenge the guy that walked in behind you with a bag who's going to steal the laptops. Don't click on the fish because it seems that it's from someone in, in authority and they're trying to urge you on and trying to get you to panic. And, and to have a, a, a culture where safety of cyber is as important as you know safety in, in the oil and, and gas industry is. And I think that this is where we're heading to, where as part and parcel of doing business in this digital world, you have to prove your bona fides when it comes to, are you in the top 10% of organizations with these types of best practices? And you should be able to evidence that. You know, I really, really like that story. And it's an example like 
I guess few that I've heard really because it's it it tells about this collective responsibility, this collective accountability to the point of what we're talking about today. Everyone is in it together. And you know, the fact that a stranger felt empowered to challenge you to to hold on to the banister while climbing the stairs, I I think speaks volumes. And of course, this is this is what we need to talk about. How do we can we, you know, create this culture of collective accountability around safety that you witnessed there. Can we apply that in some way to cyber hygiene today? You talk about zero harm, zero data harm, I guess, is what we would be looking to steer organisations ourselves towards. Yeah. I mean, sure, it's possible. If you step back and look at it, what happened in the oil and gas industry was they collectively instituted a change management programme. They instituted a set of criteria that you had to adhere to to play in the game, okay? And everyone knows change management programs are, are, are unbelievably difficult. But the rules of the change management program in relation to safety within the process industry are almost identical to the, the rules of change management within the information security industry. I mean, unlike the oil and gas industry, our problem is enhanced by the fact that we as in our daily lives as citizens use technology every day. So it straddles both our personal lives and our work lives. And it's really difficult to separate them. And so that's an increased psychological risk that people sort of feel that the the way they conduct themselves personally is the way they conduct themselves in in an organization. And typically the information security function is putting in controls to protect the organization, which typically people try and circumvent. So you have that as a a major psychological initiative as well. But the majority of people naturally, instinctively will protect their own team, will protect their own organization. And those are the emotions that we're trying to tap into here. Everyone knows that if a ransomware attack was to happen on the organization, it would be devastating. And I think if you communicate to people in a meaningful way, not in a you know blanket bomb everybody with the same boring stuff, but actually here is information that you need to understand for your role, uh, for your level of privilege, and then also move that into their private life. Because for me personally, I think one of the biggest issues is to get people to think twice. And in your Private life, it's, it's important to think twice. So for example, as everyone's working from home, I, I'm constantly getting parcels and I got a text from Royal Mail saying, by the way, here's, here's a parcel, track your parcel here. And I'm getting parcels all the time. And I thought to myself, okay, I wonder where my parcel is. I wonder what's in the parcel because um, that's the way things are. And then, I re- and then I thought, wait a minute, why would the Royal Mail have my, my mobile number? Ah, it's a smish, you know, it's an SMS uh, allure. So I think if we were to combine and get people to connect emotionally about the threats are roughly the same where you go in this digital world. People want to be protected. They don't want to have their mobile phone locked and ransomware downloaded or the data lost. Everyone, no one wants that. But I, I, I just feel that there is an opportunity where if we are putting it into our DNA of our organization, and we are making that effort to meet people halfway, you'll get a totally different reaction to what we've been getting to this point. 
you mentioned that delivery smish. Same thing, you know, it's, it's it's frightening. There was a delivery from a particular delivery firm that I was expecting only at the weekend. And I got a text message that morning purporting to be from that same delivery firm, you know, big coincidence, or, or was it a coincidence? Was it a data breach? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> but I, I looked at the URL and thought, no, that that doesn't look right to me. It really, really doesn't. I had another one, uh, a really interesting one about a COVID-19 vaccine. And, you know, this is one of the ways in which fraudsters, scammers will, will try and get in. They'll pick something that's topical that gets us to react emotionally. It was saying it, it was very targeted because, and it was forwarded by several WhatsApp groups in my village saying that one of the local surgeries had some excess COVID-19 vaccine that would be going off by the end of the week. Call this number. And the thing that got me a bit suspicious was that it was a mobile number rather than an actual surgery number. And I, and I phoned up the surgery and said, I just want to check whether this message that I've see, received a couple of times is real. And the lady on reception said, not you as well. We've had hundreds of these over the last couple of days. It's scary. And, and I guess that's the point, really, because, you know, you and I have both had near misses. You know, I, I could very easily have called that number, just, just pressed dial without looking in it or clicked on the URL from the delivery firm. And we're inside the industry. So goodness knows how how successful these are, are on a mass scale, probably fairly at the moment. So coming back to, to the point, how do we go about addressing this accountability issue? How, more to the point, how do we go about creating the change that you speak that is required to get us onto this, creating this culture, this DNA of, of awareness, of obsession with security within an organisation? The question has to be asked, Who's accountable for this? Is it the senior executives? Is it the CEO? Do they own this? Is it the employees? Is it the employees who are to blame for doing silly things? Is it the employees that are, are accountable here? And the answer that I see commonly is that everyone is accountable, but there's a fine line between everyone is responsible, accountable, and no one <laughs> is accountable. And I think that's probably the number one issue, your cybersecurity change management has to have a face. There has to be someone, a senior exec, preferably the CEO, who has to be seen to own this challenge. Because I've had people ring me in the middle of a one-hour annual uh, training session and complain about how bad it was, but, you know, and, but it was a tick-boxing exercises, you know, do you undertake staff awareness? Yes, tick. What are the threats that you cover? Phishing, passwords, tick. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you're trying to get your, if you're trying to get your staff more vigilant, if you're trying to engage them, that is a completely different ball of wax than a tick box exercise. And again, it goes to meaningful communications to people, almost like a marketing approach. Marketing is all about know your audience, give them messages that are relevant to them, try and establish a connection with them. And I think, as I said earlier, the biggest thing is like the old public safety videos of, of, of your, you're just trying to get people to, to do something. You're, you're looking, as we've talked in the past, trying to get people to look left and right before they cross the road. And what we're looking for is something similar. We're getting, we're looking for people to Think twice before they do something. You know, think twice before you walk away from the person that followed you in behind the door. Mm -hmm. Challenge the person. Be brave. Challenge the person. Think twice before, you know, this 
unnatural urgency is coming from a, a person in, in authority, no, just check it. It's okay to check it. You are better to check it. And, and it's hard to get that level of bravery into the team. But if you approach it from the point of view of not just a tick box exercise, but we're actually going to have a senior leader set the tone, a senior leader, you know, stand up in front of the audience at a, you know, the annual kickoff meeting, or if in the training does a piece to video whereby he is saying, this is why this is important to our company and why I need you to help us to protect ourselves from all these threats. People will get that. People will see that you're actually going that extra yard. And I also feel that everybody's information security management approach is different. Everybody's response approach to an incident is different. It's like a fingerprint. And I do not believe that a blanket approach will solve that. And that's the key. Here is how we do security here. Here's what we do when you see a breach here. And so you need to personalize the messaging. You need to personalize the training to your organization. And the bigger the organization, the more that becomes a reality. There's another thing here as well, though, I think, you know, many people will maybe selfishly, and I get the, you know, it's good for your country, you know, uh, it's good for your company, that that collective thing. But there's also in, in the same, maybe the same part of the brain that likes to apportion blame when they feel threatened or when something's gone wrong. It's also, right, what's in it for me? You know, <laughs> yes. is, is, it, is this going to do any good for me? And, and maybe that's a bit wishful thinking in cyber because it's a bit like insurance, isn't it? You know, you, you only need to respond to it if something else has already gone wrong. So how do you tackle that bit? It's a tough one. You know, tell me how cybersecurity can affect the bottom line. That's, that's hard. I can tell you how cybersecurity can affect the bottom line if something goes wrong, if something goes wrong. Right. But I am seeing changes and the changes are really to do, with, it's to do with laying off risk, lay it like, like, like bookies laying off bets. You know, that's, that's, I'll, I'll lay it off. And what people are trying to do is, is lay off their risk to their supply chain. Okay. And so over the years, I've seen the risk assessments that are coming from companies as part of the contractual connection between these increase greatly, such that sometimes the risk assessment around cybersecurity and data protection is bigger than the actual RFP itself. And this is where people are trying to manage the risk of doing business with their vendors. So if you're a vendor, then you have to already be being challenged by how do you evidence what you've done? What do you, how do you evidence how you go about it? And I think if you embrace it, and you have a story to tell there, it's a competitive advantage. Because most people fudge it. They try and fill in the document and you know, the, the reference between the sale, the salesman who is at the end of the marketing chain, who does the deal, and right the way back to the chief information security officer who's doing the protection, there's not necessarily a join there. there the, whereas the chief information security officer actually can bring a lot to the party here and add it as a, as, as, a, as a sales asset. And for me in particular, I think that ISO 27001 is, is key or, or, or a, a cybersecurity essentials, a, a, a bona fide cert- certification that says, yeah, we, we've actually 
we've got a, an outside party to come in and vet what we're, what we're doing. And that I see as, as something that's growing. Uh, the uptake of 27,001 has increased dramatically since COVID as not only s- supply chains have become uh, more difficult to manage, but our own internal teams have become spread to the four winds. And so, you know, documenting good cyber practice within an organization, doubling down on those policies and making them work for you in the reality of human beings, as opposed to being, you know, in, in a folder somewhere, that's all becoming much more, more to the front. Those things are becoming much more interesting in the threads of information security, compliance that, that, that I follow. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a virtuous thing. You invest to protect yourself. If you can evidence that, it means that you can use it to sell yourself as a solid bet that you won't let your customer down by exposing his data, by being a vector into his organization from a third-party bad actor. A safe pair of hands becomes yes. uh, an attractive proposition in a competitive market, I guess. And, you know, that, that as cyber risk, as data protection becomes ever higher on the agenda, and, you know, th- th- there's no denying that that is the case, particularly with big fines being pushed around, as you mentioned earlier, that's going to become even more of an asset if you, if you are that safe pair of hands. Okay, so change is good. We've talked about where the direction that we would like organisations, where they would like themselves to be going in. But how would you say are the first steps to make that happen then? You know, zero cyber harm posters by the water cooler, LED signs, you know, last cyber incident so many days ago. What are those first steps? I mean, I, I, I'm a great believer in having the big LED sign going, you know, zero, zero cyber incidents since the 1st of January. Maybe I was, I was just fixated on it when I saw it. And I, I think that it is that it's at the forefront of company communications because not sexy, right? And you, you need to start rewarding people and finding ways to have people who are ambassadors of, of, of a better way of doing it. And, you, and every organization has people who get it. They've typically been people who have had an incident in their own lives and, and realize this, this can happen. I think if you address it positively, you don't create rules for rules sake. You create rules for legitimate risk. You take a risk-based approach to it. And I also feel that that adds to the velocity of execution within your organization. And people can see that actually... This isn't just tick boxing. This isn't just vanilla training on cybersecurity. This is for our team. But you have to set the tone. It has to come from the top. Is your organization zero tolerance for these things or is it lazy fair? And that I, I see as the single biggest thing that is not addressed, which means that as the responses to these threats filter and cascade down through the organization, it depends on the management teams at the time as to what approach do they take. And that is the execution and implementation of, of your program then. Is it the vagaries of, of particular people's tolerance? Some managers will see, nah, this is, you know, this is superfluous. Some managers will look at it and go, oh, and you need this rule and you need that rule. And suddenly it becomes more than my job's worth. And I personally have seen many, many times where GDPR is offered as a reason why something couldn't be done. No basis on the regulation, but just because not everybody understands what GDPR means, 
then it's a good reason to say, well, I can't do that because of GDPR. And I've come across that one in the last two years quite a lot. Or I can't do that because of information security risks. Really? Tell me what information assets is affected here. Well, quantify the risk in terms of impact and likelihood. It, 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 none of that has been done. It's just somebody has made it up because they couldn't be bothered doing someone. It's blame. It's where blame, <laughs> blame goes yes. kind of away from accountability and more towards an excuse not to do something. Correct. And so, yeah. you know, I, I'm passionate about getting people on board and changing the culture of your organization because you can't stop it happening. <laughs> Resistance is futile. Resistance is opening yourself to a whole pile of threat from outside. And after the big breach, then you're going to be forced to do it. I think embracing the change management program, getting the execs to own, own their, 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 their part of it, and then enabling the organization to communicate in a meaningful way, communicate like the marketing department would do. This is, I think, the, the way forward. So you are, I'm going to put you on the spot now, Robbie, although I'm pretty sure that your colleagues, staff at MetaCompliance, hopefully get all of this already. But as a CEO there, as one of these execs that you're speaking about, who should be front and center presenting these personal messages, do you drink your own medicine there? Eat our own dog food, you mean? But uh, however, whatever tastes better. <laughs> I love that phrase. Uh, it's Laurie Ellison's from Oracle, but we do take that very seriously. And it's interesting. We use uh, simulated phishing to, to test our users. And it has become a game now to see, uh, because our people are so sensitive to it, it, be, it has become a game to try and uh, find if we can get past their defenses. That works, but you still have to approach it where the right training goes to the right people. So there's no point providing secure programming training to the admin staff and providing training about financial spear phishing to the technical staff. If you're doing that, you're, you're, you're basically pissing people off. That's what you're trying not to do. The other thing that people forget about is digestion. There's only 12 months in the year. How many pieces of training, how many policies, how many risk assessments, both for data protection and information security, can a team digest in a month? And reality is not an awful lot. And so therefore, you, you, you have to pick your risks. What I find in terms of the taking it from the top, what we've done is uh, done pieces to camera, reinforced pieces to camera where, where I'm talking to the staff and saying, this is a piece of training now. I really need you to take it because we're in the front line and, you know, you have to play your part. And, and that has been a very small thing, but it has allowed me to leverage that technology and, and, and reach more people without bringing everybody into the same place and doing like a, a, an all hands meeting. It also helps when you have new starts where that has already been done prior. And, and so, you know, you have a big initiative. What happens is you have a big initiative on, on staff awareness and everybody that was there that day yeah, that's fine. But everyone has changed thereafter in terms of workforce. Keeping your messaging consistent to those new people coming in is, is, is quite difficult and, and often forgotten about. And then that until the next time that you do a big awareness campaign and everybody is caught up, and it's typically those new users that have the highest level of threat because they really don't know their way around yet. And so... Again, uh, anything that talks to new users, anything that talks to them directly and said, listen, uh, think twice, you're allowed to do this. This is what we want you to 
field in terms of, of cybersecurity awareness that it's, it's personal to you and important for us. Do what you need to do. The DNA hasn't been embedded yet or they've not had the, the corporate dog food and been able to digest it fully yet. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. You, you spoke about those personal appeals from leadership. And I guess, you know, they create an emotional response, don't they? It's the same tactic, I guess, that the that the scammers use to try and create that emotional response that get you not to think twice, to, to, to respond straight away. But tell me, what about when you get pushback? What about, you know, when people say, I don't have time. I'm trying to do my day job here. And again, I'm sure you haven't had that where, where you were, but I'm sure you must have experienced or, or, or heard about that elsewhere. What's the kind of response that you can give when you do get some resistance? And I have heard that, particularly where you're trying to train a highly transactional team, like, like um, brokers on a trading floor. And I've heard, you know, do you want me to do the day job, or do you want me to do this training? Which do you want me to do? As in, you know, I, I, obviously I don't have to do the training because I'm so important. And execs are the same. You find you tend to go, well, uh, the training is for all those people, but it's not for me because I'm an exec and I'm special. Little did they know that they are at the top of the, the sort of feeding chain when it comes yeah. to to cybersecurity uh, villains. But the answer is that you have to do both. They they have to do both in this digital environment with all these digital tools. It's inconceivable that you wouldn't have the training. We don't allow people to drive a motor car without having sat a test, uh, without having proven that they're not going to cause havoc. Yet we allow people to jump onto a computer access networks without the training. I'm thinking nothing of it. And that's, that's wrong. That has to be wrong. So it is back to this is how we face these threats here. This is how we structurally uh, avoid these risks here. Uh, and once that becomes you know, the mantra of the organization, that's when you get the change. The problem, it's that it isn't just for Christmas. It's all the time. It's incessant. And like everything, you've got diminishing marginal returns over time. You have people start forgetting. So even in, in, in our organization, it's an effort. You have to stay on top of it. It has to be front of place. It has to be diarized, that it's continually reviewed. And again, I, I, I harp back to, to one of the certifications like, like uh, 27001. If you have an auditor coming in once a year, then it tightens everyone up. And the easiest way to deal with that is to have it that you're dealing with it all through the year. Uh, you're doing your audits through the year. You're keeping it front of mind throughout the year, such that when the when the audit comes along, the evidencing of of compliance is relatively straightforward. Robbie, we are out of time. I'm afraid. Fascinating discussion uh, and some really really great stories in there as well. Before we go, is there anything that you can suggest to? our viewers watching today about what their next steps may be in order to try and create some of this culture change that really we've been angling towards, I guess. One of the things that we have been doing uh, really since the start of COVID uh, with our customers is getting them to give out a copy of our Dummies Guide to Cybersecurity Awareness. It humanizes and maybe with a bit of humor gets people to, to connect with, with some aspect, even if they th flick through it. And if not everybody just the exec team, you know, this is, this is, this is what we should be doing here. Here's a go-to playbook. So again, there'll be a, a link 
for people who want to access that or if, if, they, if they contact us, we'll get them out physical guides, physical books. What, what I would say also is anyone embarking on a ISO 27001 journey or who is on a 27001 journey because the retaining and, and keeping it front of mind is a challenge, please speak to us about the human element of that journey. We're helping people with that every day, helping people with their policies, uh, with their training, with engagement approaches. So that's a particular emphasis of, of ours and, and, and how do you evidence it both to your auditors at the end of the year and indeed to regulators in the event of a breach. Super stuff, Robbie. Thanks again. Really good to chat. Thanks, David. It's always a pleasure. Until and the next time. Until the next time. See you soon.